Welcome back, everyone, to Massive Month, and this is the massive episode that I'm sure most listeners have been waiting for. This is the episode where we talk to the man, the myth, the godfather of the massive verse. But first, I have to introduce myself. I am Josh Scar, host of Talking Smack, and I'm joined this week by our walking massive verse Wikipedia, Marty. Marty, welcome back. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you having me. And I don't know if walking Wikipedia is anywhere close to, <laughs> don't give me that high praise. We got Kyle on, on the phone. Uh, I just like to read his comics. Well, as I said, you are our Wikipedia. Kyle is not as readily available to us as you are, but the man is here. Kyle Higgins, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for making the time. Uh, it's been a while since you've been on this one. Last time we spoke was uh, for Supermassive 2022. So again, I'm just really grateful for you to be here and, uh, can't wait to dive into massive verse conversation and maybe some nerd stuff. Cause the first question we always have is our icebreaker, which is what you doing? What are the things you're doing to keep the stress away? Or when the stress is down and you have time to kill, what are the things you're doing? What am I doing? Um, <laughs> uh, that's a complicated question. Um, I, there's things are very, very, very busy right now. So, um, I, I feel a little bit like a broken record because I feel like I always say that, but in particular right now, they are, um, certainly there's a lot going on. So, um, I've actually found, um, you know, I've, I've had all these knee surgeries over the last few years and unfortunately I haven't been able to move very well in a long time. And, um, the physical therapy is pretty brutal and, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I haven't, I haven't been able to run in years, um, walking more than, uh, half a block is really hard. Um, all that to say, I think knock on wood, I might've started to turn a corner a bit. And, um, if my, my leg was about 60% before it's about 75% now. So it's definitely some, we're definitely making gains here. Finally, my, my quad wouldn't turn on for a long time. And so trying to walk or do anything just sends all of the force straight to the joint. And, um, it's just, it's just, it's pretty brutal if I'm being honest. Uh, but now that I'm able to move a bit better, like I'm back in the gym, like I've been doing on top of physical therapy, like I've been doing like two a day sessions in the gym just to kind of manage the stress. Um, so like crazy early in the morning and then later in the day sometimes. Um, and so I'm, I'm feeling better than I felt in a very long time, uh, which is really nice. Um, but, uh, like today I'm, I, I wasn't able to go to the gym because I am so physically exhausted, but this, that doesn't like, then the stress comes and it's like, I really, really want to go to the gym, but I can't actually drag myself there because I'm <laughs> so beat up from going to the gym so much. So, um, that, that said, I mean, you know, work-life balance is kind of a great idea. Uh, and I, I, I do try to be mindful of that to some extent. But ultimately, um, you know, my work very much is my life. And it's something I'm very passionate about. And so I, I, tend, to, I tend to work kind of 24-7. Um, like even as we were starting to record this, like I'm you know, if you hear my keyboard, it's because I'm answering, I'm, I'm messaging with Eduardo Ferriato right now. We're trying to figure out a design uh, for the Catalyst War for some stuff coming up for issue 27. And it's just like, it's just, it's all the time. Like, that's just what we do, you know? 
So we're in the midst of the Infernal Girl Red Kickstarter right now. And in the final days, we have seven days left. Um, and we're constantly, you know, rolling out new things with that and press pieces and interviews just to ra- raise more general awareness about things. No one, not only the comic book, but there is the audio series that we do for every issue. Um, and so uh, I'm going through cuts for each episode on that because um, I direct that as well. Um, and then we have a bunch of projects that, I mean, certainly this Rogue Son and, and Dead Lucky, um, but we also have uh, a host of projects that uh, people don't know about yet. Um, we'll be announcing some stuff at New York Comic Con this year that should be uh, pretty fun. Um, and uh, there's a bunch of stuff for next year. Um, we're not announcing anything for this year. Like everything that you don't know about is for next year. And that stuff is going to be like, it's stuff I'm really, really excited about. So it'll be after Catalyst War. Um, and uh, maybe then I'll be able to breathe. That's the hope. <laughs> so sometime in 2024, you'll be able to sleep as well. Well, you know what? <clears throat> I will say that is something I actually don't mess around with. Like, I've never been, I pulled too many all-nighters in my 20s when I was writing for DC. And it's just, it's not worth it. And it's diminishing returns and it just wrecks you. And uh, now it's even harder for me to do something like that. So I, I've always am getting, you know, five to eight hours of sleep a night, despite I get up at like, I get up at 5 a.m., but I don't, or earlier sometimes, but like, I don't, I don't mess around with that because if, like, yeah, that's, that's the thing is like, it's just, you can't function otherwise. And then if you're in comics and you're working on a lot of things, you're always kind of running the risk or fighting, um, fighting off fatigue and, um, the threat of burnout. Um, and I learned that a long time ago. So it's, it's something that you, you really do have to be mindful of and, and take efforts to, um, take care of yourself. You know, so everything from diet to exercise to, you know, there's a there's a thing in California. There's a, a company called Stretch Lab. I don't know if that's nationwide or not, but I think it's nationwide. But I started going to the, the Stretch Lab place as well, just to like, because as a writer, we're not doing video on this recording, but as a writer, you'll, you, I'm, I'm shrugging my shoulders up to my ears right now. Like that's kind of like your default mode. <laughs> and it's just like, you have to, you have to be mindful of that and you have to, you really have to take care of yourself because um, you're not going to get those years back. But also, if 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 you let yourself break down, then it doesn't matter how great your ideas are or how much you know drive you have um, to tell stories. If you actually can't do it, um, then it's kind of all for naught. Yeah, very well said. I can totally relate to the whole stretching thing as you get older. So Kyle, I'm the same age as you. And Mm -hmm. I know a lot of activities that I do and I blew my knee out. So I I feel your pain on on a lot of that. I dislocated my knee and tore my MCL and retinaculum playing soccer. Yeah, it was brutal. And the, to bring back to, you know, where you're at, I mean, I still, my knee gets locked up every now and again. And, and I I feel you. It's awful. Yeah. It's the worst. It's the absolute worst, but um, yeah, I did stretching. I did. I did. I tore my ACL getting on stage at Power Morphicon in 2018 uh, for the live table read that we did, the Shattered Grid Live. I'd, I'd injured my knee 
playing basketball. I had two incidents before that. So the doctors aren't actually sure where I fully tore it, but the final incident was I was getting on stage at Power Morphicon and it popped and I fell in front of like a thousand people and two actors, Power Ranger actors caught me. And I still ran the table read afterwards, but I knew like, this is really bad, like under the table, like this is, this is a bad situation. And it turned out I tore my ACL meniscus, had that surgery, did the long rehab, you know, 12 month recovery on that. It didn't go well. Um, so I, I ended up re-tearing my meniscus. So then had another surgery for that. And that's where the real problem started. Um, and it took a while for them to figure out, but essentially I started, not only did I tear the meniscus again, and they had to take out about 40% of it, but in that surgery, they discovered that the reason my knee was continuing to lock out as you're talking about is because from one of, from something, from one of the injuries, um, cartilage was flaking off my bone, off my tibia. And so I had loose cartilage. I had loose cartilage floating in my knee for over a year. And unfortunately it was like, it was degenerative. So it was going to keep getting worse. And so it was like spreading. It was like, it was like sandpaper inside. And so this hole in my cartilage kept spreading. And at this time I had, I was slated to go direct my first feature finally uh, with a very real budget and a very real movie star. And they said, what you really need is a cartilage transplant, a Macy transplant. But if we do the end, we'll do a transplant for the meniscus because it's very rare to do. But the surgeon that I had um, is he's kind of he's the shit like he's it's he's in L.A. He does the Rams and the Dodgers like he's the guy. And he's like, it just so happens that I do a lot of these. And he said, but if we do this, like you won't be walking in time to direct the movie. And so I delayed the surgery and then the movie got delayed. And then the movie got delayed again. And I said, I gotta have, <laughs> I gotta get this done. And fortunately I did it when I did it, which was March of 2022, because when they went inside, it turned out that it was, my cartilage was gone. And if I waited any longer, I would have needed, and I might still need one day, a total knee replacement. And so the Macy transplant is, it's the, it's the hardest thing I've ever gone through. Cause it was 10 weeks where I was not allowed to put any weight on it at all. And, um, I, you know, I, you're locked out in a brace for most of that. And then physical therapy three times a week at that time, like I live, I live alone with a cat. And so I was entirely on my own and I wasn't talking to anyone and I was just bunkered down working because it was the only thing I could do to get through it. Um, it was awful. And that's when we made the, the verses, the radiant black versus blaze short. Like I did all of that during that. Um, and so after that one though, the, that's where like, yeah, it just, I had a lot of trouble where the knee, the, the quad, like the muscles weren't reactivating and it's just been, it's just been a long road. Anyway, this is way more information than anyone wants to know about, <laughs> about knees and, and my life. So, I mean, let's, I mean, let's talk well, some superheroes. Well, before we go into that, um, I mean, there, there's a very important question of like, mental health what have you learned about like maintaining your mental health through something like this i feel like that that is a a, a pertinent discussion and an omnipresent discussion um i unfortunately don't have great a great answer there because it's something i struggle with a lot and 
especially after the surgery, I've struggled with depression my whole life. And I come from a neurodivergent family and I have my own things as well. And um, after that surgery, I very much put myself in a place where it was like, I just have to get through this. But um, the depression was, was very, very bad. And, um, you know, they, they tried to get me to talk to someone and I didn't, and I should have. Um, and, you know, it's only recently that I've, that things have, things are better really to, if I'm being totally frank. And I was, I was finding different ways to cope. Um, and, you know, some of them, uh, some of them were very good and some of them weren't. Um, and, you know, it's, I have a really amazing family and a really amazing group of friends and collaborators and creators that I work with that all care about me a lot. And uh, I know not everyone has that, you know, so I feel very fortunate for that. And like literally the conversation I was just having with Eduardo before we jumped on was about like, you know, are you doing okay? Like, I know you're stretched really thin. Like, are you, you know, are you, are you sure you're not on too many things? And, and, you know, a conversation like that. And I understand that. And I would say the same thing to any of my friends that I see doing, you know, a ton of things as well. And um, I think it's, it's hard as any, it's hard for anyone to admit when they need help, of course, but I think it's even harder to actually admitting that is one thing, but then actually doing something about it is another. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I, I don't know. I, there's, I don't know. I, I don't really have any great insight on it, unfortunately, other than just, it's something that, um, you know, the, the more you talk about things that are going on and how you're feeling and when what's going on, the more it kind of takes the, the power out of it and the fear out of it. Yeah, um, definitely. And there's something to be said there, but I think whether you're talking about being a creator or just a human being, um, we are all in this together in one way, shape or another. And I think that the more that you can find your people, um, and you can do things with them, uh, and support them and they can support you. I think, I think it's good not only for your art, but also for your growth as a person. Yeah. That- Beautifully said. And I, I appreciate you opening up about that because, like I said, mental health is important no matter where you are. Uh, I've been in a little bit of a bad place the last couple months, but uh, among other things, the, the podcast, Discord, and other things like that, creators such as yourself just writing stories that allow me to, for lack of a better word, dissociate for 20, 30 minutes at a time and just give me a little stress relief. It, yeah, it goes a long way. Yeah, I mean, you have to be kind to yourself. Um I find it's a it's a fine line for me because I very much, you know, I very much tie my self-worth to my productivity in in an obviously super healthy way. Um, <laughs> but again, there's there's a it's a fine line because it's really hard to achieve anything meaningful and worthwhile um, without actually putting in a lot of work. That's just the truth. And where that line is and, and what you're willing to sacrifice and what you're willing to um, do, it's different for every person. 
and what you're able to manage. That's the other part. It's like you have to really you have to really be honest with yourself about about things like that. I heard a, there's a writer I love. Uh, he's a screenwriter, John August. You know, he and Craig Mazin have the incredible podcast Script Notes, and for years, John will say has said on the podcast like at a certain point I stopped saying I have bad habits and I started saying I have habits and just that slight reframing as a writer he's talking about it's like it it, it speaks to a level of self-acceptance about what you are and who you are and as a creator and what you do and you can only beat yourself up so much uh about things and and um yeah, the, I don't know. Sorry, I lost. I lost the thread there. I don't know where, where. A couple of things that you hit on that I that I want to touch upon. But first of all, like I have a great deal of respect for you on on a couple of levels. Like I I the first time I I got into comics four years ago now, so super late in the game. I'm the same age as you. Like I tried to get into them early on, and I heard your interview on the Invincible podcast because I the first comic I got into was Invincible, and then I found the Invincible podcast, and then I found you, and then. Basically, the rest is history. Like I've literally gone through a lot of your back catalog of, of Nightwing and of the stuff that you did with Batman. I haven't touched Ultraman yet, but like you know, got into Radiant Black and the Discord and helping those guys set that up. And, and oh, are you, you in know, the Discord? Having you be, a, yeah, yeah. I'm one of the I'm one of the moderators. I was the one that set up the chat bot that converted regular text into radiant text but now isn't working anymore because the hosting fees just went up the roof and i was like i'm not paying for this so that's why oh, it doesn't oh, do wow. it anymore yeah i did well so, it's nice it's it's nice to speak to speak with you i didn't i didn't put that together um what is the yeah, what are the hosting no fees i see i don't i'm such a it's weird i'm such a luddite except i was so tech savvy for so long and then, and now I'm like, what the, f- I don't even know what a discord is. Like what? <laughs> yeah. So you have to, pay, I gotta, you have I, to pay hosting fees for the discord. Well, so I, I custom wrote the bot in Python. So my, my, my day job, I, I lead a data engineering team for a, for a major, a major company. And oh, I was cool. like, I'm gonna do this on the side. Yeah. So, so I just kind of created the bot and I worked with Nick Ranger who, who, di- who ended up like decoding the the font file, even though like, Michael you was guys like, could have just yeah. Michael had yeah. That's it. Yeah, Michael has yeah, it. We have a t- he built a TTF file of it. Like yeah, we have TIF file. Yeah, that's a yep, no, that's no. It's exactly not a TIFF file. It's a a true type. He has a true type font. Oh, even better. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah. anyways, Nick Nick built the TIFF file out of it, and then I took it and I wrote Python and you know wrote a Discord bot, and then I you know put it on a server. I really have to. There there is a free version, but I have to convert a bunch of stuff. I just haven't had time. Been super busy. Like I I know you know, but. Um, anyways, kind of back to where I was going, like, I, I like love you as a writer. And this is kind of, I would say a dream interview for me. My, my daughter got into comics. She's like absolutely infatuated with Inferno Girl Red and all that stuff, which is oh, that's been great. awesome. She got a, she got a chance to say hi to Matt Groom. So that was like her, her big thing. But like one of the things that I really want, like that even like, I respect even more is that you talk about a, a sense of mentorship with your creators and bringing creators that like Eduardo, who really wasn't very well known, you know, Marcelo um, and, and others, and you kind of like build them up. And that's something that like, I firmly believe in as, as a leader of an organization. And, and I just want like, I think that's amazing that you do that and you surround yourself with people like that. But can you talk to us about like how that process came about of you, like, 
developing that mentorship because I feel like that's a skill that's almost it's a, it's a soft skill that's lost in a lot of ways. And I know we talk about mental health a little bit in the beginning of this, which kind of correlates to having that support system and mentorship. But can you talk to us a little bit about how that related through your comic journey? Um, sure. I mean, it's it's funny because I don't <laughs> I don't really look at it as mentorship in that way. Um, I guess with some with some creators or some people, it, it really depends on um it really kind of depends on like who the creator is and where they're at in their career, like where they're coming in on on things. You know, it's like like Ryan Parrott does not need anything from me. You know, like Ryan Parrott does not like Ryan and I have been, you know, best friends since college. Um, so we came up together and we helped each other. And, you know, someone like Ryan, <clears throat> someone like Ryan and, and someone like Scott Snyder were very influential to me in that way for very different ways. When when I started at um, at DC, you know, you, you, I think I think there. Look, I, I was on the phone with my dad today, and I was talking about something unrelated to this. But I think what I said applies, which is that um, modeled behavior, especially when you're starting out, is incredibly important. And watching the way that Scott uh, mentored over the years, so many creators and even though I, I didn't, I, I didn't start as I wasn't a student of his or anything like that. Like he and I both came into DC on our own, but I was nine years younger than him and still am, uh, as he was getting on bigger things. And I was, he was a, a much more fully formed writer than I was. Um, so it's inevitable that you kind of, you look up to anyone that is willing to, um, help and also who you respect and, who is doing the things that you want to be doing. And so um, watching how he handled himself and he had came from a, a teaching background as well. And then certainly James Tynan and Marguerite Bennett um, and then some others over the years in an official capacity when he was like teaching programs at DC, like that is a very, that, that very much is kind of a mentorship pipeline. And so that was something that I, I saw and appreciated and respected but then on my own, you know, I was I was trying to figure out how to not only write uh, consistently, but like do it at a high level on kind of like a tightrope act where everything you're writing is coming out. It's a champagne problem to have, but there's a lot of pressure there. When they give you the keys to your favorite character, it's the dream job until you realize that like, you know, they've also cut the brakes on the car, you know? So like, what are you <laughs> like? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ryan, Ryan was, was such a huge help to me. Um, and, and at the time I remember, you know, Ryan was, was JJ Abrams assistant. And I remember when I was doing Nightwing, it was such a complicated time. I look back on it now. It was such a complicated time to try to write comic books at DC, much less to start your career as a writer. And the pressure was so immense. Um, and I, there were times where I was like, I owe, I owe an issue tomorrow. I owe a script tomorrow. I don't know what to do. And so there was one issue in particular on Nightwing uh, where I had the beginnings of an idea and Ryan was like, he's like, come to the bad robot offices. He's like, I got, I, I can take lunch at 1 PM. We'll, we'll figure it out. And so I went over and he got on his lunch break after 
dealing with high stress stuff for JJ. And it was like, we went and sat in the courtyard and like Ryan helped me break an issue of Nightwing, like on the spot, you know? And there's a reason why I set up black market narrative as, and I call it a creative collective because it is. And you can ask any of the guys that have known me a long time. Like I have, I have, for whatever reason, I, I, I love helping people I believe in and especially my friends. And so, you know, Mike Martz, who is the Batman group editor used to joke around that I was going to introduce my way out of a job one day because I got my foot in the door at DC very early. And I was constantly going like, you need to meet my friend, Ryan, you need to meet Alex Siegel. You need to meet. And I was introducing writers I believed in. Um, and that's just very fulfilling to me. Um, and then behind the scenes over the years, I've always helped with f- projects that I liked or friends, uh, stuff, whether it's walking things to image and trying to help facilitate getting books going for them there. Uh, you know, like Stray Dogs, like I actually walked that book to Image. I walked that to Eric Stevenson. Um, wow. There have been different books over the years. Uh, I, I think I made the introduction for James Tynan uh, for what became um, Department of Truth uh, to Eric. Um, Marguerite, I, I, I walked something in that I don't know if it ever, ever ended up coming out or not, but there have been a, there have been a lot of things over the years. Um it's just something it's probably coming from a filmmaking background, which is a very uh, collaborative field as well. If you do it right, in my opinion. Um, So there's some of that, but, but the other part of it too, is that like when I said before, like John August talks about at a certain point, you stop saying you have bad habits and you start saying you have habits, hopefully with some maturity. Well, when I really look at what I do well and where my, my weaknesses are, you know, I, I could very much make the argument that I am not a writer. I'm a director who writes. And the idea of being a solo voice individual, I can do it. I've made a career doing that. But I love co-writing and I love breaking story with people. And so the real game changer for me was meeting Matt and Michael when they were when I was starting on Power Rangers and they were doing the Ranger Danger uh, podcast. And then we started doing episodes f- covering the comics because I'd always had this kind of like dream idea of like, I came up in the era of like DVD director's commentaries. And so just the idea of like, hey, why don't we do one of those like for every issue, like once a month? And so we talked once a month going through the issues. And then we started talking, you know, over G chat. And then we started talking every single day. And they're in Australia and I'm in LA. And we just, I just really loved these guys and realized how talented they were. And, um, and it just kind of took off from there, you know, in terms of building something that just continued to allow us to work together um, and be friends. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, Mark Guggenheim told me once uh, that uh, Mark, Mark's a friend of mine and, and he, he, to- he had a theory that writers, uh, set up their companies when they set up companies uh, to accentuate the things that they want to do and kind of diminish the things they don't want to do, you know? So like certain writers, I won't say, I won't name names necessarily, but like certain writers companies, when you realize like, Oh wait, 
that company, wait, it's run by a writer. You wouldn't think that because it's way more run like a big production company um, where that person who is the head figure, it's like they don't really write anymore versus like I remember I remember like early on in my career, I, I, I directed when I was in college, I directed this big superhero noir short film that kind of like really jump started my career. And so I was going up for like really big movies when I was like 23 years old. And I was like doing what they call the water bottle tour, like going around town, like taking all these meetings. And I remember I was so excited to meet uh, Steve Zalian's company because I, I love Steve Zalian. Uh, you know, he wrote um, um, uh, Schindler's List. And I mean, just he's he's one of our greatest writers. And I remember getting to the offices and it was just like, it was like a guy in a broom closet is what it felt like. It was like an, a development exec form. And I was like, oh, is this the place? He's like, oh yeah, Steve doesn't like, he's at home writing. Like he doesn't, <laughs> he's got a company, but like he's a writer first and foremost sort of thing. <laughs> and so, so setting up something like black market narrative in this way, it is funny how I, I think about Mark's comment all the time because it's like, as much as I am a writer, like I'm doing quite a bit more creative directing now. And that's something that is is definitely incredibly fulfilling for me. And it's probably a little bit more in the ballpark of like what I what I really love doing. Because my first love is directing still. And so it's not to say I don't like comics or anything like that. I love comics. But um, being able to kind of carve a slightly different path here is something that has been incredibly rewarding and fulfilling because it allows me to explore a lot of different avenues of storytelling and different skill sets that and interests that I've had for my whole life and for really my whole career. But I would argue that maybe up until recently, like the last two or three years, a lot of people probably didn't know that I do these things. Like a lot of people probably didn't know that I was a sound editor for 10 years before I was writing comics and that I worked in post-production since I was 16 years old. And so, you know, I started by animating comic book trailers. I was in high school. So the idea of doing a no one audio series is kind of a no brainer to me. Um, but I could understand how it might seem like it's out of left field uh, for a lot of people or to a lot of people. Um, but that's actually kind of cool to me. Like, I like that I, we can, have, we all kind of come from these different backgrounds with these different skill sets and we're all in this together. And so we're just making cool stuff that way. The no one, the whole concept of no one, one and the podcast and, you know, in combination with the book is, is just so immersive. And not only that, but like the website and the fake website that you guys put up to try to get us to do passwords. And all of a sudden we couldn't get into it and everyone was going nuts on discord and Twitter and everywhere. And we're like, we need to hack, like we were trying to hack it at one point with, <laughs> with some stuff. And, and Michael was like, you're not going to be able to do it. And it was it, like just the, the community and, and like on the creative side with you guys kind of being involved with us along for the journey, even though you guys are like a thousand steps ahead of us. It's just such a, an awesome experience. And I think it makes everything so much better, but like the no one podcast along with the, with the, with the book is un unreal. Like 
first of all, I can't read that book right before bed because my mind, <laughs> like I can't focus on it. There's so many characters and I really appreciate you guys putting like the characters at the end with the names, like, so we can revisit and rethink about like who's on our big, our own big boards. But like, I have to dedicate time to sit down and, and read that because my mind's going like, oh, maybe it's this guy. No, maybe it's this guy. No, maybe it's this guy. And then the, and then you listen to who the do podcast. You, do you like, have oh, someone now? Who, who's, your, who's your current theory? <sighs> it changes. Uh, oh, my God. So I just <laughs> finished issue five, literally, right? Uh, I, I re- re- reread three, four, and five because mm-hmm. I, was, I was behind right before I got on here. And I thought it was a football player guy, like, at the end of four. Right. And then, like, at the end of five, they're talking about, like, how, oh, well, maybe the guy's not dead. And I was like, well, that's a no-brainer because, um, you know, that makes sense. So, so like, I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I still I, – I got I to gotta take some time and, like, digest what I just read la- tonight and kind of really think about it. But, like, the, the misdirects, if they are or not or are – I mean, I could even see it being, I don't know, the, the father even. Who, who knows? Like, so – and I know, I know how like it's trying to like read you guys too because you guys take big swings with everything too, right? And mm-hmm. it's like, well, is he taking a real big swing? And did he already tell us, or did he not tell us? So it's like, it's a complete mind game. <laughs> You're warping our minds is kind of what, <laughs> what it boils down to. But it's awesome. It's so awesome and so much fun. Well, I I, I appreciate um, the compliments, and I'm I'm so glad you're enjoying it. Would it frustrate you if I said? I don't think people know what this what this book is yet. Oh, just like you did with Radiant Black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, wouldn't be surprised. But I will say the whole design, like if we if we just like look at it from a design perspective, I love the design of No One. Like I think issue two, where No One was like up by the camera, and his and his helmet is literally recording just like a camera. And, and I was like, oh, that's such a cool concept. And then like later on, you learn that that was kind of like almost foreshadowing that he was like recording everything and then he like shows it. But it was super, super cool. Love the design. It's kind of it's kind of it kind of reminds me a little bit of, of Nightwing, too, with his sticks and and some stuff. And I'm, I'm sh- I know you love Nightwing, so I'm sure. Right. That had maybe something to do with it. I may be, you know, speaking out of left field, though. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say Nightwing was as much an influence on him. Um, he's, he, there's certainly, there's certainly, uh, several influences there, but yeah, the, the sticks and the Bostaff thing, uh, that, that comes out of a, like, well, what are we going to give him? Like, what kind of weapon is he going to have that, you know, everybody ha- between Daredevil and Nightwing and these Scream sticks, it was like, that was less interesting to me. The bow staff was really interesting. And then the idea of like, oh, well, let's do it as a collapsible bow staff that also can split apart. It's like, oh, that's kind of a best of both worlds because then you you can combo it into different things. Um, But um, but yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of work, but um, it's been it's been a, a, a very fulfilling project. So uh, I want to backtrack a little bit because Marty kind of low key stole my my uh, one question that I had written down for you. Um, I usually free flow a little bit, but um, years ago, I, I believe this is like three, maybe even four years ago. Now you were on Lawrence Holmes podcast, The House of L. Oh yeah, uh, which is fantastic podcast. I love Lawrence. Um, I don't know him personally, but he seems like an amazing dude. He's great. But eventually, it led to a collaboration where he co-wrote 
the radiant yellow focused issue, mm-hmm. radiant black number 18. And um, was that part of like that mentorship thing that Marty was talking about, where you guys just kind of like developed this relationship? And you're like, hey, do you want to co-write with this with me? Because I don't have the perspective of a black American like you do. And like, obviously, this is as someone who lives in the Chicagoland area. Lawrence is a big comic book nerd as well as a big sports guy. So it just seemed like a really good collaboration for the two of you. Yeah, I really enjoy bringing different voices to comic books, but also just any of the stories that I'm telling. Um, it, I'm a big believer in in trying to put people in positions to succeed. Um, I started as an intern for Richard Donner and Lauren Schuler Donner when I was like 20 years old, and Tom Mankiewicz was my was my mentor who wrote the first Superman movie and four James Bond movies and a host of other things. His father was Joseph L. Mankiewicz and his uncle was Herman, who wrote Citizen Kane. Um, Tom and Dick used to say that, uh, in particular Dick, 95% of directing was casting. Like if you cast the right actors in the right roles, you know, you're, the baseline is going to be so much higher than trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Now it's hard it's hard to see that cuz you get well what makes them the right actor? How do you know? Um, and you know, you know how you you know how you figure it out? You cast the wrong people and make that mistake too many times and then you start to figure out like ah, I really need to I, I need to stop talking myself into something that maybe is too much of a leap. Not to say that some people can't make that leap, but I'm I'm a big believer in trying to find the right people for the particular, um, for the particular, whatever particular gig. So Lawrence was a great fit for Wendell and Radiant Yellow and what was in my head about the type of story we wanted to tell here. And Lawrence and I have known each other a long time. And during the pandemic, um, actually wrote, uh, an original graphic novel called the trap with Lance Briggs and Lance and Lawrence are very close. And, and Lance and I worked very, very closely for like two years on this graphic novel. And I mean like Zooms like multiple times a week, long phone calls multiple times a week, like actually writing together on this thing and me really trying to teach him the way that I do things, the way that I write books. And um, it was a great experience. And Lawrence and like I said, Lawrence and Lance are really close as well. And so we, we all would talk quite a bit and... Um, when it came time to do Radiant Yellow and I was trying to find the right voice, um, considering I wanted the character to be a little older, um, but I wanted him to also be, uh, in the Chicagoland area, not necessarily in the city. Um, it was Lawrence who pitched setting him in Gary and Whiting, Indiana, um, and the steel industry and, the different eras, uh, you know, Lawrence, Lawrence is a little older than me. And so he has a, he has touch points that I don't have, um, as well as culturally has different touch points than me. And it all just makes that story and that character so much richer, uh, as a result. Um, so yeah, another one, I almost broke his brain on that one because when I, (laughs) when I pitched the idea, Michael, Lawrence and I were on a, a Zoom when I pitched the idea of, well, but what if we do 
all of these errors at the same time. <laughs> and I watched Lawrence's eyes just kind of do <laughs> we're audio only here, but they just kind of got they just kind of got a little wide and he's like, okay. <laughs> I was like, it's all right, man. I was like, don't worry. He's like, I'm gonna take care of you here. Like, I'm not like, don't worry. Like, we're gonna I, I know how to do this. Um, and we pulled it off. And that's an issue that I am incredibly proud of. Uh, and I'm incredibly it's, proud it's of Lawrence. Issue. For, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, a follow up to that is, is there room? Like, obviously you're never going to say never and I don't want there to be any spoilers, but is there potential for Lawrence to come back and co-write another issue? Maybe not necessarily focused on Wendell. Cause we don't know what's going to happen with him through the catalyst war. Yeah, it's always possible. Um, I mean, I would obviously love to work with Lawrence again. Anyway, we are not, I'm not doing anything. The, how do I want to frame this? You need to see how Catalyst wraps up to even see if the Radiants are still going to be around. Let me put it that way. Oh, geez. Well, that's, <laughs> that's grim. <laughs> I mean, Whoa. everyone might be dead. Basically, I'm not doing any, we're not doing any backups or minis or anything like that during Catalyst War because I want everyone to feel like anything can happen because and I truly mean this, anything can happen here. Like this is a, this is a big one. Like this, these issues are, these issues are big. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're ripping two timelines at the same time now with these two books. I mean, so first of all, issue 18 and what you did with the flow of that, with that one, that one long comic. I mean, I have that thing mounted on my wall like i built a custom frame for it it's part of my massive verse wall i'm also the idiot that has that massive verse wall too that my wife yells at me for all the time <laughs> oh but that's awesome anyways that comic reminds like i just recently read the longbow hunters uh mm -hmm. the dc comic for another podcast and it it wrote like that does it at smaller scale because at the the, the last issue has like the side you can read it two ways it's got the side panel and then the middle panel but yours was done so well where you can read it like four different ways right. or you can just stretch the whole thing out and, and read, read it front to back on four different timelines. So that, that, yeah. that whole flow was amazing and never been done. And it's, it's just, it's just incredible. But Wendell feels like such a big key character to the catalyst war. And I love Wendell. He's kind of one of my personal favorites. So I don't, eh, we'll see what happens to him, but like, I, I think he's he's definitely going to come back and be a key part. Just how issue twenty five ended. Um, what I, have I you got? Oh, you go haven't away. seen. Okay, so you got you haven't so, seen twenty six then. Okay, right. So twenty five out. Twenty six comes early. out in a few weeks. Yeah, because I write for Nerd Initiative, so I'll get it like the Friday before, and then I'll probably have to. I'll probably be the one writing the review because I wrote the review for twenty five, and when I got that, I got it the Friday before, and. When Ken sent it to me, he goes, <laughs> you're going to, he's like, don't say anything because it came in two files. And I, I was like, oh my God, I immediately knew. Cause like we were talking about the vote and I was like, he split the timelines. I had a feeling it was going to happen <laughs> mm -hmm. and it was incredible. Like I had to bite my tongue for like almost a week, but, uh, well, yeah, well here, no one's going to be able to see this. Uh, but that's, that's not a bad thing. It'll just be for you guys. So this is, can you guys, can you see this? Yeah. Yep. Oh my God. So this is 26 A and B side by side. 
I love the I love the connecting covers. They still yes. look so sick. So pages one and one. Oh my god. Pages two and two. This oh is just going to become a reaction channel now. Pages. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Three and three. <laughs> cut, this, cut it out and post. Oh yeah. Four and four. Holy shit. Here, this one's my favorite. Five and five. Yeah, Ooh. that was that. Oh, well, that Whoa. was a part of the. That was a part of the preview pages, though, that you put on uh, Black Market Narrative. But you haven't seen think, you haven't your, seen those. Oh, not this one. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Whoa. Holy crap. This is incredible. I. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Oh, jeez. Oh, so I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it there for you guys. Right. At, yeah. Don't leave it don't at spoil that one. Anything else, but that. Uh, oh, my God. Yes. So cool. And I, th- I, I don't only... know if I can edit that out. I think we got to leave those reactions in just to tease everything <laughs> oh here. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm I'm so stoked! I can't like this is this is incredible. Whew. All right, Josh, I'm gonna kick the next question over to you. I gotta take a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I mean, I, I guess the question is after sharing that sort of thing, we were talking about it slightly, but let's just dive into it. So you left us off on issue 24 with uh we're going to do a Jason Todd thing. You have to choose who is going to be radiant black. You're going to choose who's going forward. And common sense would say we would find out in issue 25, but you pulled a little switcheroo on everyone and went, we're going to go through the catalyst war with a diverging timeline. And at the end of the catalyst war, you'll get your answer. So we have to go what, what we assume is going to be at least a year of this diverging timeline story where we will finally find out what no, I, again, I'm assuming no, 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 six months, five months, six months. Okay. Five so months. it's issues. We, it's issues 25 through 30 is the catalyst war. It's just, okay. 25 through 30 are, there's two issues for each one of those. 12. Okay. Makes, makes sense. 12 issues total for mm-hmm. the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Six months is better than a year, but still. <laughs> but what made you decide to give yourself so much extra work in this case of writing <laughs> two diverging storylines on this poll that's going to lead us to who is Radiant Black? Well, when I when I used to joke that people don't know what this book is, this is what I was referring to because this was the plan from pretty much day one. Um I knew that how I knew I was going to build this series as a secret two-hander. And if I did my job right, I would make it very hard for readers to decide who should actually be Radiant Black. Um, And then from there, the idea of, look, this is already a book that plays around with time through through Radiant Yellow in the way that he can perceive different branching points of his own kind of life or reality. And so the idea of using, um, using a little quirk of the medium, which is variant covers as a way to explore an alternate timeline is something that no one's done before. It's also something that felt like, um, it felt like a really interesting way to tell this story 
and I'm being really careful with what I say here because I don't want to inadvertently spoil something. It's also like this is fundamentally at the core of what the Catalyst War is about. So this series has always been about these two disillusioned millennial friends, best friends, and their strengths and differences. And so what better way to accentuate those differences than to place them both in a mechanism, i.e. the catalyst protocol, that shows and juxtaposes how they would each go about it. Um, but why this is happening, again, is a part of what the event is actually about. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in committing to the bit. Uh, so is Michael. And so when we, when I pitched this idea, like over two years ago now, two and a half years ago, maybe longer, it was like, no, 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 you can't do that. And I was like, but couldn't we? <laughs> and slowly we, it's like, this is what the book is. This is the event. And, you know, it's, it's tricky because to keep it a secret was very hard. Um, how we solicited it was challenging. I also know that this is a big ask for readers to pick up two books a month now out of nowhere. And I understand that not everyone's going to be able to do that. Um, all I can say, though, is that this is a story that I'm incredibly passionate about telling. It's very, very important to me. And this is the way that I've had my heart set on telling it. And I've built it to work in this format. So I totally understand if it's just too much for readers to you know, invest in both financially and or emotionally. But just please know, like, this isn't a cash grab. Like, this is fundamental to what I've been building for almost three years now. Yeah, uh, the the emotional side of it, like, when you put that poll up, when I realized it was a poll, because, again, when it, you had that, you must choose. I was like, okay, robots talking to Marshall and uh, Nathan. So like, obviously like whatever. And then scan the QR codes like, Oh no, he's going to kill one of my guys. <laughs> so I know early on in like, I don't remember if it's like issue two or three, we get old man, Nathan in Kate mode with beard with the, with the beard. Mm -hmm. Does that happen during catalyst war? After Catalyst, well, maybe not oh. after Catalyst War. <laughs> That's funny. Is that feel, flashback? So I, f I feel like people took that a little too literally. That's not, it, it's not like a fast, like I, I don't mean to, normally I wouldn't like burst anyone's bubble with something like that. But like, do, like, do you remember what he says in that scene? I'd have to go back and look. I don't know if it was a dream sequence or not, or if yeah, it was a, a, it's like... It's a, it's a dream, but it's also, as Nathan's trying to write, to figure out how to write this, you know, his novel, or how to crack right. this novel, this caped version of Radiant Black uh, with a beard, which I, we did a beard because it feels, I don't know. There's an inside, there's a funny inside joke there that we won't, it's what it's fine. Uh, but it's, it's what he says to Nathan is that when Nathan's like, who are you? And he says, I'm what you will never be worth breathing. And he drops Nathan. Like this is, this is a, like a manifestation of like 
I am not enough. Like what I'm trying to do here and I'm struggling with, like, why am I doing this? I should give up. Like, I'll never, I will never become that. Like anything confident, anything worth breathing. Like it's a, it's not okay. an optimistic, it's not an optimistic bit. I thought sure. But it's also not like, this isn't like a time that part's not like a time travel story. It's, it's just kind of a, like, it's a, it's a kind of cautionary tale vision. Gotcha. No, that make that makes total sense. Now I didn't know if there was more to it than, than just what you described, but that's good to have, uh, have full disclosure on that. Cause I was thinking about that. I was like, man, if that's what he's going to potentially become and prove that guy wrong, like if we pick the wrong guy, that kind of, I mean, that thread. well, yeah, no, no, no. I, look, if Nathan survives, I mean, maybe he'll have a beard one day. I don't know. Like, <laughs> you got to put the beard. If he survives, you got to put the beard back in. You got him. <laughs> all right. All right. I'll, I'll make that promise on, on this podcast that if Nathan survives, the beard will make an appearance at some point here. <laughs> You heard it here and exclusively. (laughs) Yeah. Was the vote super close still? Because I know it was like almost 50-50. It was close. Did it end super close? It did. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's funny because the Marshall voters are definitely more vocal. But I can tell you, (laughs) having seen the numbers, uh, well, I can't can't tell you. I'm just just telling you it, it, it was very close. Did you have a preferred winner? I'm sure you've been asked this question a hundred times, but was there a winner in your your head that like you were like, okay, that one I'm I'm more okay with than than the other one, or is it just it's all part of the story that you've had planned? Um, yeah, there's, it's I have a complicated relationship with that because the book's not. I've said this plenty of times, but the book's not about me. But there's a lot of me in the book, and so like there are bits of me and Marshall and there are bits of me and Nathan. And so it was really interesting to see people talk about which character they responded to more and why. Um, but from you have to divorce yourself of that stuff. And that's easy for me to do. It's more from a narrative standpoint and the narrative engine that each character represents is different. And so the vote very much did, I mean, the vote, the vote is determined what, which direction we're going. Um, so it's, there was, there, there certainly was, I thought, well, hmm. there, I'm excited to tell the story. I'm excited to tell the story after Catalyst War uh, with Radiant Black, whoever it will be. We'll just we'll just leave it at that. But yeah, there were there are things that you know when you go through a breakup and you realize like it's as much the end of a relationship as it is the death of a future. Like there is some of that because you do find yourself going and realizing like, oh, yeah, well, I can't do that anymore. Oh, I can't do that again, you know? Um, 
and so there is some there it is it is a little bittersweet in that way but at the same time something that annoys me a lot about a number of writers especially on superhero comics is that i feel like they don't take chances and they never really risk anything in their stories and I don't want to be that kind of writer. Um, I've never wanted to be that kind of writer. And if you're doing an image superhero book, like I feel there is a colossal responsibility there to try to push the envelope and to do things that haven't been done before. And often that requires risk. And it's that line that Prince had about like, or no, it's not Prince. It was David Bowie, like about being in the deep end of the water where you know, you're in just too deep where you're on your tippy toes and barely kind of keeping your head above water. That's where the interesting work happens. That's awesome. I mean, you took a huge swing in issue four right off the bat with, with what you did. And I would argue, and that was I, like, sorry, I, I'm going to push back. I would argue issue three. No one talks about issue three. Okay. They talked about issue three when they came out. I got crucified over issue three. And it's like, it's a slow issue to launch a series with. This is like, you know, meandering and writer. And it's like, I wish people would go back and look at that issue because the way that the story and the genesis, if you want to talk about writing and you actually want to talk about craft, I would urge people to go look at that issue. And that's not coming from, hopefully it's not sounding like it's coming from like a place of ego. The reason it's important to me is because trying to, if you're not a writer, trying to understand how challenging that process can actually be and how much you have to respect the process. And the process often is that it sucks until it doesn't like you, you have, that's it's, it's, it's the closest thing I've ever been able to get to in terms of like really trying to explore and explain and show what it can be like as you're trying to find a story from nothing. And the way that Nathan's story and the bits in that story end up influencing and solving how he's going to adapt his short are something that has happened to all of us kind of time and time again as creators. And that was really important to me that we do that that early, you know? Um, and so like, it's, it's anyway, I'm just, I'm super proud of that issue. Uh, and uh, so everyone talks about issue four, which I'm also super proud of, but um, you don't care about Nathan in issue four and what happens to him yeah. if you don't go yeah. through his struggles in issue three. Yeah, I, w I was I was just going to say that issue three completely builds up the gut punch to issue four. So, to your absolutely to your point, like issue three is pivotal pivotal to getting destroyed in issue four. But I know that like a lot of people talk or compare it, not compare it, but like talk about big swings as it relates to invincible and they say Kirkman, you know, took his time to, to 12 and everyone was complaining that that was too slow. And then this came out issue three, four, boom, boom. And everyone was super stoked. They're like, Oh my God. I, I mean, you say that, but I, I know people I got, I'm telling you, I got blasted about issue three about like, what is this book? Nothing is happening in the series. It's so slow. What are you, what is this thing? It's so boring. And it's like, it's issue three. Like what, <laughs> like, what are we doing? You gotta you know? give it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Get, Sounds get like people that haven't it. read a lot of Kyle Higgins stuff, in my opinion, because uh, I mean, I'm not saying like everything you do is a slow burn or like there's poignant moments and all these things. But like you have a style and I think it's fantastic and it, not to like fanboy out right now. But I mean, everything you did building up to issue four and beyond, I felt like was part of one full narrative that just built upon each other. And like you said, you don't get that emotional reaction in four without three. And like, honestly, in my mental state and everything right now, um, I don't I couldn't tell you exactly what happened in three. But if if I'm remembering issue four, I could probably take a good guess because like you said, it's you're building a relationship with these characters. It's kind of like not necessarily a pilot episode of a TV show, but you have to lay the groundwork and the foundation for these characters at some point, And usually it's early on. So if you're not doing that and you're not connecting with these characters, then what's the point of doing that big twist by four? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tricky because when you're working in any sort of genre fiction, there are genre expectations. Um, and this is a superhero action book or a superhero book. One of the expectations being that there's going to be a lot of action. And, um, and of course, I want there to be. And that was always the intention. But, um, you know, I I would... I will always, or at least at this kind of stage of my career, I will always choose emotion over action. Um, and I think it's because I know, I know how to do action. Uh, and I know that it works better. I mean, this is just like writing 101. Like it works better when you care about the people that you're, you're following. And um, in comics, sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to do both in an issue. It's not impossible at all. There's obviously an enormous pressure in the comic book world, especially indie comic book. I'm sure there's studios knocking when there's not a strike happening saying, Hey, what is it going to cost to do this? Um, so I'm sure there's studio executives or whoever it is that knocks on doors and says, Hey, what is it going to cost to do the, this project? If you had a preferred medium, cause we've already had a sh an animated short film, which was fantastic. Will Friedel is, Marshall Radiant Black was phenomenal idea. And I do love the uh, I do love the Jason Marsden or Josh Keaton brain uh, hive mind can fan casting for Nathan. If I put in my two cents, I do think Josh Keaton fills what I hear in my head more. Um, but that's just my two cents. Mm -hmm. um, but like if you had a preferred medium between animation or live action, where would you go with Radiant Black with without any studio interference, just you following your heart? Where would you go with it? Um, I'd want to do something in live action, probably. Um, I, the tricky thing is that the the unfortunately the realities of um, the film and TV industry is that it's it would be it's easier to start in live action and then do something in animation than it is to do something in animation and then do live action. Um, and that's not to say that taking a swing at live action first is any sort of guarantee that you could actually get a show going or anything like that. Um, yeah. I mean, we've had, we've had some interest um, before the strike, you know, there were, there were some, there were some interesting conversations, but um, I mean, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sell Radiant Black or Option Radiant Black unless we're doing it ourselves or, you know, we're basically we're involved. Like I need to be writing that. Um, and 
so unfortunately that changes a lot of the conversation because when something's a free and clear piece of property um sure it's it's a lot easier to garner a competitive bidding situation or even just a packaged situation of you know producers and actors and a director that moves the needle to try to put it into the most attractive package possible to make it kind of undeniable to a uh, a studio and then uh, hopefully a network to go and make it but um while i recognize and understand and agree that there's certainly components of that that are necessary to getting the type of momentum to actually getting something made. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm not willing to, I'm not willing to do that at the expense of, um, cutting myself out of that process. So the cool thing about doing all of these books at image is that we all own our own books. And so it's not like a publisher can go behind our back and try to sell Radiant Black uh, without us. Um, it's actually us that the studios and the networks and the producers all have to deal with. So it's got to be the right fit. It's got to be the right partners. Um, and it's got to be the right time. Uh, you know, we're not, in a, we're not in a rush. Like, I've never made a book to get to try to go make a movie or something like that. Like, that's just not, if something happens and something comes up, great. I mean, I've written books that uh, my series Hadrian's Wall, you know, it was announced a few years ago that- I was just thinking about that. It's very cinematic. Mm -hmm. So it was announced a few years ago that we had, that we had optioned the book to Gunpowder and Sky and that uh, they hired me to adapt it and I was slated to direct it as well. Um, it didn't work out. So we have the rights back on that one. Um, it's a longer road and uh, that's okay. You know, like I want to do it the right way. And it's not to say that everything I write, I have to then as a comic, I would then have to be involved in uh, for any sort of adaptation. But with Radiant Black, like, yeah, no, it's, it would be like trying to do a spawn anything without Todd. Like, that's just not going to happen. Todd's not going to let that happen. And I feel similar in that way. Um, so we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. And like I said, we're not we're not in a hurry or anything. We're, we're trying to make the best books possible and um, build something sustainable for all of us. Like, that's what the Massiverse is. This is all of us trying to work together to build something in a way that really hasn't been done before. Um, and you know, we'll see where we land. That's awesome. How how many issues? And this is, this is my last question. Sure. I know early on. No, Marty, you, you got you got about... you got to have more. Come on, I want I, I do these so rarely. <laughs> <laughs> how many how many issues are you up to now? Either pre writing or in your head. I know early in in interviews, right? You, you were like, oh, I'm, I'm up to like issue thirty. So how far how far down the rabbit hole are you beyond Catalyst War at this point? Like that we could potentially expect that we know of, like 50, 55, 60. Um, how far ahead are you? I know through fifty. Yeah, solid. I, I know, and I'm not. I don't know like issue by issue, but like 
I know, I know arcs. Like I know, I know kind of, I know big moves through 50. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Is it 50? Yeah. I'd say 50. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's just exciting. Or maybe longer. I mean, I, I have ideas for beyond that for sure. Um, but yeah, it's cool. It's uh it's a, it's a really fun sandbox to, to continue to play in. Um, one thing I know a lot of creators did, especially back in our heyday when Lost was dominating the airwaves, uh, one of the things that uh, the creators were talking about was they they knew the last shot of the show. They knew what the last shot was going to be, which is always going to be Jack's eyes closing. Do you have in your head already like what what would you want to be the last panel? Like I'm not asking for spoilers. But, like, do you already have that like last panel, that last page in mind? Um, I have. I have an ending. I have an idea for a scene in a potential ending that is not anything that I would get to for, you know, I don't have plans to get to it for a long time or anything like that. Um, but I, and I, I might not even do it like, cause that's the thing is like, I think in, <laughs> I think in character arcs in that way and, um sometimes stories go where you think they're going to go and other times you come up with better ideas along the way and that's why I say like I know what the moves are through 50 but like it could change um based on a variety of factors and I have to be careful in what I say here because I keep forgetting that issue 26 hasn't even come out yet uh much less um, you know, what the, what the next few issues are going to work going to be. Um, so yeah, it's, there, there is, there is one in, I have one in mind that, um, could be, could be powerful. Um, but it also is something that there's like three moves, big moves that, would happen have to happen first before it would even be possible or feasible and so now i'm like way ahead of talking you know what i mean like i'm talking now about like hypothetical directions for characters that we haven't actually necessarily even committed to yet but when catalyst war is done i think a lot of that will make more sense mm-hmm no, I, I'm I'm just always curious, like how far into the the storytelling idea it, it becomes for for creators, especially one that I respect as much as you. Uh, it's just such a an interesting concept when guys ha or creators have that end goal in mind and what they're doing to build towards it. Because as you said, it's a fluid situation, especially in comics where circumstances change, budgets change, so you might have to adapt as they may be. So it, it's just something that's always in my head and how many opportunities am I going to have to ask you the question? So I oh, sure. figured I'd, I'd ask. No, no, no worries. So I lied. I have uh, just two go, more. Go. I'm Kyle's, shocked. Kyle's give Kyle's give me, come on. Josh. <laughs> Are you on the discord so, right now? Sourcing questions? No, but I could, if you wanted me to real quickly, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm away from all social media because I want to have a hundred percent attention on this. Um, so will we have an idea and the, Owen always drops this meme because I think he he put it on the Discord with with you have no idea what this comic is. 
will we have an idea what this comic is after Catalyst War or is that still to be determined? <laughs> I think I, I well, what I meant by that when I first said it was where we're at right now. The book has always been designed and intended to be this two hander that was going to put the readers in the shoes of the characters having to make this incredibly challenging decision. But even after that decision, how we arrive at the ultimate kind of answer was going to be through this dual timeline catalyst war event. Um, that's what the book is. That's what the book was in, isn't intended to be. Um, but beyond that, uh, it, I, I, it's really tough. To, it's tough to. It's tough it's to tough to answer without, yeah, tipping my hand on the, our, our hand on the catalyst war too much. Um, no, I I think you know what the book is now. Like, until I change my mind or until we we completely um, subvert that um, or upend that after catalyst war. But no, it's the story of these two best friends. Like that's really what the book is about. And I guess the, the will we see no one somewhere crossing or no, yeah, exactly who crossing over somewhere within the massive verse besides this 10 issue mini or well, large issue run that we have going on. That would be cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Marty, you pulled a job. such a. Yeah, I know. He's such a he's such a cool character. He is. Um he is. <laughs> I, 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 I I will say I, I hope to see him beyond or her, whoever whoever's behind the mask, um beyond the ten issues, because I think there's a lot of cool things that he could potentially help or she potentially could help with. There are there are some things with no one yes. There there are some there's some future plans with no one. Yeah. That's exciting. All right, Josh, I, I, I promise I'm, I'm done, but I could come up with more. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I could get there too. Uh, but we're about a hundred minutes past my bedtime. So, um, and I know Kyle's very busy, so we will, uh, I think we'll call it a night there. And I know it's way past your bedtime too, Marty, you're an hour ahead of me. Um, uh, but Kyle, yeah, it's again, almost 11. thanks so much. And, uh, I just really quickly, Marty got to share his story about how he found you. Um, I literally found you. Uh, I was at uh, Wizard World in 2013 mm -hmm. in Chicago, and uh, I had been out of comics for a long while, and I found a Nightwing comic. It's like, oh, I've always wanted to get into a Nightwing comic. So I picked up Nightwing New 52 number one. I think it was a second print because it was an all red cover. Yeah. And I was just kind of flipping through it, and I literally walked past you. You had a table with your name on it, and I was like, Kyle Higgins, why does that look familiar? And I look at the front, and it's just like, oh, my God. So I walked back and you were just extraordinarily kind with your time and you had a nice little chat with me. And uh, even my wife was just like, oh, my God, he's so cool. <laughs> so oh. uh, you got two fans for life just from that one little interaction in August 2013. Um, I, I don't know if you remember it or if you even still have it, but uh, my wife made a little Nightwing acrylic painting canvas for you uh, that we yeah. gave to you in, I think, 2019. I do have that. Um it's in my parents' house in Chicago, I believe. 
Uh, wow, what is that's a that's awesome. That's a very small that's a very small world. I do remember that show in August. Um, that was a uh, that was a cha- it was a challenging day uh, at the show for me for just some personal reasons. There was some stuff going on, um, but um, I remember. Uh, yeah, I remember that show really well. Like, uh, that's awesome. That's I didn't know that. I appreciate. Yeah, it was that. a really good day for both me and my wife because she started collecting the uh, the original two thousands Harley Quinn comic that day, and again I got to meet a, a writer that I was like, oh my gosh, this dude's super cool. And then later find out that like, oh, we're the same age and literally from around the same area because I grew up in Elgin. Oh so yeah, like, where'd you go to school? This is, High school? Uh, I I went to Highland and then uh, Kimball. I think cool. was the middle school before I moved out. Yeah. And then I moved into the Rockford area. Wow, that's awesome. But, uh, Very I've always small been world. around. And then, yeah, seeing the Belvedere Oasis was still one of the coolest things in comics for me. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh, I went there all the time for Krispy Kremes. Well, the bummer is that, I mean, my Oasis was the O'Hare Oasis that was torn down a few years ago. And so when it came time to do an Oasis gag, it was like, it's not there. Where am I going to, what Oasis am I going to use? So. <laughs> Um, so I picked the Belvedere one. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Well, the, the people of Belvedere are, are thankful that we <laughs> don't a, ha- only have tornadoes a, to, to be thankful for. There's now. a statue. There's a radiant black statue somewhere. <laughs> I have a I'll petition for I, it. So I have a gag. I don't know if I should say this on air because in case I do it, but I had a funny I had an idea about I had an idea about like Lockport building radiant black a statue but they like put it under a bridge or something. And so it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, an Oasis, like that's, that's prime real estate. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, Kyle, again, thanks so much for the, the stories you tell uh, the director that tells stories as you put it. Um, do you mind sharing your social media handles before we get out of here? Sure. Yeah. I'm uh, well, I'm, I'm on, uh twitter and instagram kyle d higgins i don't really post all that much um the better way to probably follow me so we have a newsletter uh for black market narrative that i write it's supposed to be once a week usually isn't um trying to get better about that but there's a lot of stuff going on right now um it's uh if you just go to blackmarket.la uh you can that's our site for black market narrative but there's also a link for the newsletter there you can sign up um we have a cool youtube channel that we post stuff on we just started posting the no one episodes on youtube uh as well so there are versions of those that are up there and then um at the moment we're in the midst of the infernal girl red uh book two kickstarter uh which will be wrapping up in seven days here we're still trying to meet our goal uh so i'd urge everyone to go take a look at that if they can um trying to think there's anything else pick up the massive verse radiant black rogue sun the dead lucky infernal girl red no one radiant red radiant pink is miniseries and uh yeah i'm just uh i'm 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 you know very very appreciative to everyone who has tried our little superhero universe and uh, is still reading our little superhero universe and really allowing us to kind of take these, these crazy swings that uh, we so enjoy taking. 
Um, to, to follow up with the Infernal Go Red, uh, this episode will be dropping after the Kickstarter campaign has concluded. Um, we are, I say we as if I'm included, uh, I am backing it, but that doesn't mean I'm doing anything actually like creatively for it. Um, but is there a, a contingency plan if the goal is not met? We'll see what happens. Yeah, okay, we'll see well, what happens. I mean, we'll keep putting out calls to action. I've, I know I've shared it on some Facebook groups, but uh, hopefully we don't have to worry about any contingency plans and everything goes smoothly in these last few days. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then, Marty, um, you know, be on the lookout for uh, news coming out of New York Comic Con next month in October. And uh, we're we're going to we're going to have a fun we're going to have a fun 2024. Yeah, we'll definitely be covering uh, at least the massive verse announcements from Comic Con on the podcast. So uh, if you don't catch them through Twitter or live, we will be recapping them for you. Uh, Marty, do you share you mind sharing your socials where people can find you? Sure. I am at Marty Stoked on all social media platforms. Um, I don't even know how many there are. I lost track. I don't post to them all. I put mostly on Twitter, if, if that, and a little bit on Instagram. And then we have, I'll plug the Radiant Black Discord, which I know all the creatives are in there interacting when they can, um, which is a great time just to theorize about the comic and meeting like mine individuals and it's just a really good time. So I'll make sure Josh, you have the invite link in the show notes so you can add that for new folks that are in there. There's a ton of people in there. I think there's like four or 500 people now, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. And so, it's a great yeah. community. It's, it's fantastic. It's, it's a little, uh, <laughs> it's a little, uh, intimidating to go in there and just see how many people are talking about all these things. But it's also awesome because you get different perspectives. You get people that catch things you haven't seen before. But again, we're trying to get Kyle out of here so he can do stuff. Um, but uh, thanks again, everyone, for listening. You can email us at tsmackpot at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, concerns. And most importantly, thanks again for listening and take care. And thank you, Kyle, for your time. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.